Good morning. It's good to see you. Excited to be, uh, be with you again. I think I haven't preached for three weeks, so I'm not sure if I can remember how to do that. Uh, we shall see. You can, uh, you can judge later, just don't tell me. <laughs> All right. Good, good to see you, though. If you open your Bibles to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we saw this uh, read for us uh, this morning. Uh, it is interesting, of course, that as we have looked at the Hebrew letter, to remember that in this letter, God has, through this writer, uh, spent this great amount of time helping us not to fall short. Uh, my life and your life, if you have been a Christian for very long, has, has often been spent not only being challenged yourself, uh, and at times even challenged heavily as to whether you would continue uh, to serve God, uh, but have oftentimes seen others uh, fail and, and fall back and see that great warning that we have to look at ourselves as well. I love this set last section of Hebrews 11. The writer in the, in the chapter has mentioned by faith about 11 times. I mean, excuse me, 20 times in this 11th chapter. And in that, he is emphasizing to us those beginning words of chapter 11, 1, when he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Everything that we do is about being able to see what we cannot see and having an assurance of things that we hope for. With that, we're going to stay strong. Now, the illustrations he gives us that we'll look at this morning are, are amazing in so many ways. And we'll, we'll look at this in three main parts. First, Moses and his journey uh, and the journey of Israel uh, to the promised land. And then this summation of the faithful that he does not go into detail about, and then finally the idea of being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. I don't know too many things that motivate me more than to read about what these people did to illustrate for us what God asked us to be and asked us to do as we, as we go on for and to serve the Lord. The beginning of this, the faith of Moses, you might note as you would read through that just like with Abraham, the writer spends more time on these two men than he spends on anybody else. One verse on Noah, not to say that that was less, one verse on Abel, but he goes into great detail on Abraham and then also goes into great de detail about Moses. Surely the idea is there's so much to say about their lives. There's so much to say about the kind of faith they had that it is important for us to put it before our heads, before our minds, and illustrate it for us and to see what we, what we ought to see. It is a challenge for us to understand and just read this, not from a standpoint of this historical count, but in the standpoint of how we are going to see this in our own lives. And that's what we want to begin to do. Amram and Jochebed, or as I was watching years and years ago, uh, Charlton Heston and the, uh, the, the, the story of the Exodus and Moses, 
Yoshabad. That's, that's how they said, I forget, I was like, who's Yoshabad? Oh yeah, that's how you might say Jochebed in, in the Hebrew. So Amram and Yoshabad, these two parents in the land of Egypt at the time in which Pharaoh said, an edict, gave an edict, you must kill all of your children. All of the firstborn, all, everybody who's, who is being born, take those children, throw them in the Nile River. And at that particular time, the considerable faith that we see in the, in the parents of Moses is, is absolutely amazed, am, amazing. Uh, excuse me. Uh, they were not afraid of the king's edict. So stop and think about that. Very likely, the command was, you either throw your babies in the Nile or you die. Out of threat of death, you must obey the king's edict. That, that commandment reminds me of later in Scripture in Revelation chapter 13. You might remember in Revelation 13, the dragon stood on the edge of the sea and called up, uh, excuse me, the devil, Satan, stood on the edge of the sea and called up a dragon are called up a beast out of the sea. And the beast that he called up out of the sea becomes, as we later read in Revelation, the great city that reigned over the kings of the earth, the Roman Empire. And then he stood and called another beast up out of the earth. And the beast that was called up out of the earth was the enforcer to cause everybody to worship the beast that had been called up out of the sea and to do all the things that the beast would say. And it's a reminder to us, Satan does everything he can to take control of government for his own purposes and to use power to cause people to fall in line with that government. We have seen it in communist countries, dictatorships. This is repeated historically over and over again. We have fortunately been exempt from that mostly, but not so much anymore. We need to remember the same faith of Amram and Jochebed. These two did not kill Moses. They saw that he was one favored by God, and they would not obey the king's edict. It is an important period, an important illustration of our mental mind of how we are going to handle things when and if government says, you don't get this unless you obey what we say that is against God's laws. The second thing that we notice here is Moses choosing at age 40 to no longer be an Egyptian, but to join his fellow Israelites. Now that makes no sense in an earthly point of view. Moses is at a period of the time of Egypt, we know historically, that had the greatest wealth ever. They had reached their pinnacle of power. Here is Moses living in Pharaoh's house, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, adopted by her. He has everything that he could possibly have. He's mighty in the words and the deeds of the Egyptians, as Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7. 
He is of great, he, he, he has everything he could possibly have. And he forsakes that and chooses rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt and the pleasures of sin that would only last for a season. Now, nobody does that. <laughs> Almost nobody. For Moses to do that, he had to evaluate. And I, I want to think about, ask you to think about what it was like for Moses sitting in his room by himself at age 40 and seeing what is taking place and knowing God, knowing that what his mother and father had taught him when he was young and realizing that he has to make a choice. And he evaluates it. Let's see. If I, do, if I do this, I'm giving up everything Egypt has to offer. And he has to make an evaluation. Is what God has to offer greater than what e Egypt has to offer? That's what every one of you here have made that decision, hopefully. You've made the decision that what God has to offer is greater than what America or anything else or your job or anything else has to offer. You've decided that you will forsake those things for the cause of serving the Lord because the treasure to come is so much greater than what we have possibly in any, any way possibly in this life. I love, I love, too, to see the emphasis here on he made a choice. This was not the situation where might happen in our lives, where we decide we're going to obey the Lord, etc., etc., and then because of that, everything goes sour in our life, and then we make a decision whether we're going to continue. No, with Moses, everything is good. It is like the Apostle Paul. Everything is good going on as far as the evaluation of this earthly life. Everything is great. And he decides, he chooses to no longer follow that. It is important, too, to understand. He made the choice one time. He didn't say, well, I think today I will... I'll choose to try to go, I'll, I'll go out and defend an Israelite today. I'll go out and see what I can do today. It's not just a choice today and then tomorrow, maybe, maybe I don't want to make that choice anymore. He made the choice one time. If you're a person seeking God, or you're already a Christian, the worst thing you can do is wake up every morning and make a new choice. Because your feelings will get involved and cause you on some days to decide not to. Or you decide every day, well, as long as things are convenient today and as long as things are going well today, I will certainly choose to, to serve the Lord. But if things get hard and difficult and it's not convenient, then maybe, maybe today's not a good day to serve the Lord. Make the choice one time. Give everything up. Nothing is as valuable as the treasures to come. I love the 
this, this quote that, uh, that I found that was given by J.C. Ryle uh, concerning this particular text. And he says this, Faith told Moses that affliction and suffering were not real evils. They were the school of God in which he trains the children of grace for glory. The medicines which are needed to purify our corrupt wills. The furnace which must burn away our dross. The knife which must cut the ties that bind us to this world. Marvel not that he refused greatness, riches, and pleasure. He looked far forward. He saw with the eye of faith kingdoms crumbling into the dust, riches making to themselves wings and fleeing away, pleasures leading on to death and judgment, and Christ only and his little flock enduring forever. He saw with the eye of faith affliction lasting but for a moment, reproach rolled away, and ending in everlasting honor and the despised people of God reigning as kings with Christ in glory. I think that summarized it well. That's the kinds of things that we need to decide. That's, that's the idea that Moses had as he looked to the future. That's the eye that is needed. And look especially, too, to verse 27. In order to do that, the Scripture says that he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I think that to be one of the most important things you and I can do in our lives, especially when challenges of faith come. Do you see him who is invisible? If you can see him who is invisible, you will not fall back. If you can see him who is invisible and that he promised the reward that he will have and give to us, if you can see him, you will not waver. You have to see the one who is invisible. Instead, our eyes focus on the here and now. Our eyes look at the moment and the struggle of the moment and the difficulty of the moment and the wobbling of our faith and the insides that we have of the moment. But instead, to see the invisible, we're seeing the foundation, the rock for which we are striving. Keep the invisible before your eyes. And he saw the invisible, and that's how Moses got beyond this. One other point that I would like to, you to note here is the faith of Rahab. She's mentioned here, of course, so simply in one verse, in verse 31. But what an amazing woman. <laughs> Do you know that when Rahab made the decision to protect the spies and to join Israel, Israel had conquered Egypt 40 years before. Rahab hadn't even been born. But she had sat at the gate of the city at some point and listened to the leaders of the city recant the stories of the great God Yahweh and how He had conquered Egypt. And that somewhere out in that wilderness are his children, 
that he had brought out, wondering what would happen when they got to Canaan. She had heard those stories. And the stories given by an unbelieving group of people, a people who were not going to repent, a people who would not relent but would battle God, she listened to those stories. And out of all of that, she chose God. Chose not to turn the spies in, but to protect them. I, I think a great bravery by her. The kind of faith she had to have. And then she went and convinced all of her family, look, I've talked to the spies. They're coming. These great walls are going to fall. And you can be saved. And then this woman is placed in the lineage to Christ as she marries an Israelite man after the escape and produces then a lineage that goes through David and ultimately to Jesus. What great faith. That's the kind of faith, again, we see over and again, the threat of death, but the strength and power of faith to get past that. And then the second part of this is truly amazing when he begins the words, and what more, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me. Now, if you have been a student of the Bible for very long and you read those words, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets, as you read the words, their lies flash before your mind. But the, but the, the preacher says, I, I don't have time to go through every one of these. But I want those lives to flash before your mind. These, these great men and women of faith, I want you to see them and I want you to think of them. He gives this quick, quick summary of them as he goes through. But you know, I believe my problem has been with this, of reading this, and our problem is with this, is we disconnect from it. Do you disconnect from what people do that you read historically in the scriptures, does your mind basically disconnect and read and go, wow, 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 but you keep them at arm's length as if this would never, ever be your challenge or your experience. <laughs> very, very likely, it may not. but to not internalize this and understand that we read this way too simply, that God may expect this of us. Sometimes people my age, we will say things like this when we're talking with each other. Well, <clears throat> at least I'm getting close enough to death that maybe I won't have to see what happens next. Maybe. But those of you who are young will see what's going to happen next. And everything we do must be preparation like these men and women did. The preparation is the reason the text is given. 
excuse me, not just to think in terms of what they did, and this is some historical statement. What if this is your lot? Which one of these, if God said, choose one, which one of these would you say, I'll live his life? Let me be that life. Oh yeah, we might say, yeah, yeah give me one of those where we're saved from the lion's den. <laughs> At least we're saved. Give me one of those like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they quench the fire as they're cast in. Give me one of those. But in all of these, there are both victories and defeats. For the Christian, they're all victories. From the earthly standpoint, there are some defeats. They're sawn in two. They're tortured. The words that are given are so amazing in verse 38. Wondering about... Wondering about... Uh, in... in uh, Excuse me, I didn't turn a page here. Wondering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to live that way? You want to live in a way in which you couldn't even enter a city or somebody would kill you? And so you were out wandering around just in deserts you found caves and little places to live. Now, my wife, who is, as you know, fairly kooky, she'd probably get a kick out of the challenge. You know, say, hey, hey, that'd be really cool. We can, we can, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't even want to spend one night in a tent. That's, that's okay. But all your life? That's what some did in order to live by faith. Tradition is that Isaiah is the one who was cut in two, sawn asunder. Others tortured. The stories that come out that you would read about in the apocryphal writings that uh, of the period of time between 300 and 100 uh, B.C., Oh, horrifying. Families, mom and dad and four children, Antiochus Epiphanes, taking them and commanding them to eat swine's flesh, and all of them saying, no. And one by one, he takes and tortures them until he slaughters them, and then says, next eat the swine flesh, and mom and dad watch their four children being tortured and murdered. And then mom is, and then dad is. And every single one say the same words. You're only delivering us to eternal life. And refuse to keep the king's command. Tortured. You never know. What would be the lot that God will give you and I? Even if it's not that much, here is the point. 
I have to know that the sacrifice he's asking them to make is giving up my life. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 33, no one of you can be my disciple unless he forsakes all that he has. It's required of everybody. It's just, deter it's just determined by how that lot may fall. But that's his expectation that we would give everything up. Is that where we are? These are amazing words that are given here. And then, isn't it something when he says in verse 39 and 40, these people were commended, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They didn't get the promise. And then the words that follow are so important. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud, a great a cloud of witnesses. Here is this great cloud of witnesses. These are the ones who did not receive the promise. They are pictured as in the arena, in the stands, watching us and waiting for us to complete our journey. When I think of that, it, it is easy for all of us, I think, to relate to it. We have Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics. Back years and years ago, I think the networks did a far better job of covering the Olympics because we got to see so much more. I loved when the marathon was run, 25.2 miles. Of course, at that period of time, back in the 70s and early 80s, it was just amazing that somebody could run that far. Now some of you have done it, I know. But you haven't done it in two hours and nine minutes. <laughs> It was always wonderful, moving, bring tears to my eyes as the lead runners would finally enter the stadium for the one last lap. And as they came in, the crowd would come to their feet and cheer, go, go, the final 400 meters. Some in the crowd were former Olympians, cheering them on, wanting them to finish. It didn't matter whether they won. They wanted them to finish. And then there was that occasion. Oh, it was heartbreaking. Get him just, just 50 yards from the finish line. And one of the runners body just give out, fell to the ground. A gasp in the crowd, and then the urging, come on, come on, don't give up. Try to stumble to his feet, take a few more steps and crumple to the ground again. And then a competitor coming up, stopping, lifting him up and holding him and bringing him across the finish line. Oh, so amazing. That's 
us. We have a great cloud of witnesses. Do you see them? Abraham and Isaac and Joseph, Moses, the great judges, Deborah, Samuel, Barak, Jephthah, Samson, the prophets, Isaiah, oh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. They're in the crowd. They're up there in the stadium. They finished their race. And as you see them, Elijah and Elisha, these are the ones that a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on. Don't stumble. Waiting for you. Waiting for you to finish the race so that you and them at the same time can receive the promise. Jesus said those trembling and shuddering words to the Jews. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sitting at table in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. It is all about, not the punishment after, it is about missing the honor of what is promised. Next time you're slipping, see the great cloud of witnesses. See them in the stands. And then, most importantly, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see him? Do you see him carrying that cross through the streets? Do you see him as he stood before Pilate and Herod and they accused him of so many things and he would not answer because he was giving his life up? Do you see him carrying it? Do you see him going to Golgotha? Do you see him allowing them? He could have said, stop it. Allowing them to crucify him. Why did he do it? He despised the shame. We need to despise the shame of whatever it is that we must go through in order to stand for him. Despise the shame. Then don't you love these words? For the joy set before him. I think that great passage in Psalm 1611 always comes to my mind when I think of what God has offered us. In His presence, our joy and pleasures forevermore. You do it for the joy set before you, not for anything in this life. You will not be praised because you serve Christ. Not likely. You don't be honored because you choose 
to see the invisible instead of the visible. Not likely. In fact, more likely. You will be, dis you will be discouraged. You'll be defamed. You'll be looked down on at sometimes, maybe even physically, persecuted. See the one who is invisible. Do you see? Then run with endurance the race that is set before you. Endurance is what Hebrews is all about. Do not fall back. If we can help you in this in any way, please talk to us. Talk to me, any of the other members here. We are here to help you. If you're not a Christian, you've been studying and you know what you need to do to serve God. Be immersed in water in order to, in order to connect with the blood and death of Jesus as he cleanses you of your sins and then raised to walk this life in which you honor in him and not the things of this life. We're glad to help you with that. I urge you to, to take that step or let it be known afterwards as, to, as together we stand and while we sing.